Welcome. Um, I'm Sharon Hargrave, and I'm the director of the Boone Center for the Family. Uh, I see some new faces this session. We've had um, sessions all week, so I always get, you know, what have I announced when and where and all that stuff. Um, but just to, for those of you that are brand new in the room, I would just like to say the Boone Center for the Family is a training and resource center. Uh, we specifically target training Christian and church leaders. Um, as a church leader and as a Christian, we believe that you have an impossible job, that all you need to do is know the answer to everything. When people come to you to share their hearts, to share their stories, to share their frustrations, to share who they are in relationship, that they bring everything to people that they trust at church. So, in that, we provide a lot of materials. Um, we have two programs, basically the Relationship IQ material, which is designed for 18 to 28-year-olds. Very psychologically and theologically sound material um, to help young people negotiate things like boundaries and friendships and relationships with their parents and sex and dating and um, it's over here, it's a material that's designed that can be taught, each module, each topic can be taught in an hour or six weeks. Um, then we also have another program called Relate Strong, and that is where Dr. Simonton comes in and helps us. The Relate Strong program is designed for individuals and married couples in churches. It basically helps people understand their own coping, their own self-regulation, where they become destructive in their coping, where they can be constructive in their coping. And there's a basic material where you take couples through um, and individuals through a small group where they learn how to understand themselves and their own behavior. I don't know if any of you are like me, but sometimes right after I yell at my children, I wonder who that was that just walked in the room, right? And so there's a lot of work to understand who you are. And in that foundational material, what we discovered is it can be helpful with a lot of topics. Addiction, pornography, depression, anxiety, singleness, parenting, marriage. So we have a Relate Strong Leadership Series. We have a three-day program. Our next one is uh, June 18th, 19th, and 20th. And Melissa Simington um, has created for that track for us um, uh, information on healthy intimacy. Um, Melissa and her husband Scott are both uh, excellent psychologists and therapists in Pasadena, California, and they work with a lot of couples on sexual couples and families mm -hmm. on sexual issues. Um, she is a delight to listen to, very versed in her topic, and so would you welcome with me Dr. Simon. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, I'm gonna have to get used to this. All right, so um, this is a topic talking about healthy sexual relating. Um, healthy sexuality is something that I talk about often. I only have an hour. So I'm gonna do the best I can. Thank you, Sharon. Sharon's cheering me on. To get in as much material as I can without totally overwhelming you, knowing that we're probably gonna leave a lot out, but we're going to have hopefully a structure uh, that we can work with. So um, uh, the title of this uh, kind of talk is called To Be Connected, and this is about talking to your church or your community about healthy sexuality. And just really briefly, I want everybody to kind of shout out, what is it that you do? Why are you here? Are you a pastor? Are you a counselor? Are you a, just kind of go around the room. Preacher's wife. Preacher's wife, okay. Therapist. Minister. Therapist. 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 Counselor. Counselor. Youth pastor. Minister. Minister. Dad. Minister, dad. <laughs> Person in relationship with other people. Pastor, pastor. okay. An engineer, still, still a person in relationship with other people. Okay, right. So, what's that? Mom of two boys. Mom of two boys. Okay. See, all this is important, right? This is a subject that we can all benefit from in terms of learning about or understanding a little uh, further, or 
uh, getting more information. I always like to start out with the creation story. And so um, I have on the screen here, Lego Adam and Lego Eve, and they are naked and unashamed and happy and everything is awesome, right? Have you guys seen the Lego movie? Come on, everybody, you've seen the Lego movie. Okay, right? So we know that God designed us to be in community, into, in communication, in connection, in intimate relationship with each other, and also with him. That's how he created us, right? We are called to be connected with other people. Um, but we also know that that is not the totality of our story and our lineage, right? Because we have the fall. So just curious, as you look at this picture, do we need to dim the lights or is this okay? It's good, okay. What are some things that you see in this picture? Shame. Avoidance, embarrassment. embarrassment, turning away, turning away. Mm-hmm. What else? Sadness. Sadness. Leaves are dropping, so death. Oh, ooh, that is a good one. Yes, death. Right. What else? Guilt. Guilt. Oh, that is excellent, because they're turned away, they're kind of self-absorbed, right? What else? Disconnectedness. Disconnectedness. Okay. I don't think I've heard the one thing I'm looking forward to. Everything is correct, by the way, you're saying all the right things. I'm looking for one more thing. How about covered up? covered up okay so we know that um, when Adam and Eve um, ate the apple um, that they immediately covered themselves up they realized they were naked they became ashamed right they covered themselves up and they also hid from God okay so we know that even though we are created to be connected to other people, and we're created to be in relationship with others, an intimate relationship with others, that we also bring this to the table, (laughs) meaning we like to hide, relationship is hard, um, it's very scary and vulnerable, and it's easy to turn away because um, it's a part of our history as well. There's things to be ashamed of, We are broken people, and not only do we hide from each other, but we hide from God. So, this is kind of where I want to start, because this is where our sexuality also uh, plays a major role. But even before we can talk about sexuality, I really do want to talk about intimacy. Oftentimes, people use the word or the term intimacy, and what they're referring to is a uh, coded word for sex. So they make some statement like, well, they have an intimate relationship. But there's some meaning behind that, which is a sexual relationship. And so I want to make sure that we're not using that term in this way. Hi, Tom. It's my friend Tom. Um, So um, let's define our terms, okay? So intimacy is a multi-dimensional way of relating, okay? It is not one kind of physical act or even a feeling of love, but a constant process of intentionally deepening the relationship. This could be with God or with other people, okay? Here's an important thing to note too. Intimacy is not always shiny or glamorous. Sometimes it's gritty and raw and challenging and even painful. So the process of becoming close to someone is difficult. It's hard. Okay. Intimacy is a close and loving relationship where one's intention is to know and be known 
attentively relating to another physically, emotionally, spiritually for the purpose of pleasure, friendship, spiritual formation, and mutual growth. So that's my definition of intimacy. And here's kind of a picture of that, right? The intimacy is, like I said, multidimensional. It is layered. It means closeness emotionally with someone, physically with someone, and spiritually with someone. Now let me define this even further or clarify this even further. When I say physical intimacy, that includes all forms of loving touch that communicate care, love, safety, pleasure, and is not just sex. So again, a lot of times people want to use the term physical intimacy and what they mean is sex, but what I want to say is, you know, physical intimacy is something that we do with lots of people actually, and it is not just sex, it's a way of caring for another person. So those are my terms. Now that we've got all that kind of straightened out, let's talk about what we believe about sex. So I usually like to take this opportunity to ask, and maybe if you've heard me speak before, you've been a part of this exercise, but I wanna know, how do people learn about sex? Oh, someone said the internet. Exactly. Yes, this is, um, well now, this is a major source of information, right? People are curious, all they have to do is punch in some keys. Okay. Is that resource or is what they're learning reliable, real, realistic? What's that? Unbiased. Un unbiased? Hmm. Thoughts about that? Okay. And some things that you read probably are not true. Okay. So that's a very fair way of saying that. A lot of times when I think of people looking up things on the internet about sex, I think of something very specific. When I think of pornography. For sure. Right. So let me ask that question. How realistic is pornography? Yeah. It's not realistic fantasy-based, right? So we're, we're getting information that's, um, it's information about sex, but it might not be realistic, meaning how sex is actually um, experienced with another person. Okay, how else do people talk or learn about sex? Trial and error. Trial and, okay, perfect. Their own experiences, okay? so. For some people, they might have good experiences in terms of uh, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, going steady, maybe not sex in particular, but just learning how to be with somebody, you know, in terms of a you know, hug, kiss, make out, or whatever. Maybe it is sex too. So sometimes, sometimes our experiences can be positive, sometimes experiences can be really negative, right? Abuse, rape. Um, unwanted uh, type of attention or um, uh, things of that sort, being pushed too far. Okay. How else do people learn about sex? Awkward conversations with peers. I love it, yes, okay. So I like to talk about this all the time, okay? So I always say I like to talk about the talk, right? So. How does the talk go? Realistically. Yeah, what's that? Realistically. It can go realistically, right? I mean, people can, parents can have uh, a good intentions and want to open up conversation and dialogue with their kid. Um, but what else might happen in that conversation? You inherit your parents' awkwardness. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, this is what I like to say is the, the message is let's talk about sex, okay? Let me tell you about the birds and the bees. 
And the parent is so embarrassed, ashamed, not sure what to say, um, nervous that the meta message is we don't talk about this. So what do you think speaks louder? The meta message or the silence? It's this is not something we talk about. So yes, I'm trying to have this conversation with you, but what the kid learns and what the parent learns is please do not follow up with any questions. <laughs> right? This is not comfortable. Right? Okay, so the talk can have, again, the heart is in the right place, but sometimes it doesn't go so well, right? Okay? And again, that's a part of our brokenness, too. How else do people learn about sex? Right, peers. And that information is totally accurate. <laughs> right? No, right? I mean, if they're learning about sex from their peers at school, what is likely to be the thing that is being said? Rumors. Internet. <laughs> yeah, more internet information. Exaggerations. Right? Okay, so we learn from our peers. How else do we learn about sex? Sex ed in high school and college. Yes, okay, sex ed. It, high school, college, sometimes it starts earlier in fourth grade, um, right? And sometimes that can go maybe well, right? We're learning something. We're getting some sense of factual information, okay? I know I had a, a guy in one of my classes, and he said, all I remember about my sex education class was Jimmy threw up in the back when, you know, <laughs> they showed the birthing scene of a kid or something like that. So... So there is all this kind of emotion and this kind of like awkwardness. And so the, yes, while there is information that's there, sometimes people, kids, are very aware of their surroundings and not really necessarily taking in any information. So, okay. How else do we learn about sex? Hollywood. Hollywood, okay. Let's talk about this because this is super important. TV shows, movies, right? How is sex portray portrayed? It's portrayed as either super casual, so it's no big deal, or it's like the pinnacle experience, you know, of the human body. That's right. Okay, perfect. So there's two messages there, right? Either it's no big deal, right? or it's everything. It's the most important thing in a relationship. How else is sex portrayed in the media? Super choreographed. Okay, say more. Uh, just uh, idealistically orchestrated. Okay, yeah, okay, right. Not realistic, right? Okay, so, so basically, does anybody have any problems? Oh, no. No. Is it easy? Does anybody have any communication? No one's talking. It just happens, right? Okay? All right. I think we've covered, oh no, we are missing one really important piece of the puzzle here. How else do we learn about sex? The Bible. The Bible, okay. And how would that get dispensed? Church. Through church. And how does that go? <laughs> okay, so you tell me what happens when people try to put sex and church together. Don't do this, don't do that. The phone rings. <laughs> right, okay, so it's usually a list of don't do this, scare tactics, right? It's dirty, wrong, bad, don't get her pregnant, don't tempt the guy be in charge of the guy's sexual desire, right? Okay, so these are some of the messages we get at church. What are some, some other messages we get at church? Yeah? That you should not even think about it or do anything with it until you're married, and then you should all of a sudden know how to do it. That's right. Okay, so should not have thoughts about sex, understand sexual desire, 
or that you're a physical being in any way or a sexual being in any way, and that there's some magic that happens on your wedding night. Right? Right. So the other message that we get from church is that it's not talked about at all, which again is the same meta message that we get from the talk, which is, oh, we're not talking about this, so this must mean we should not talk about it. Right. Okay. I like to call all of that the disease model of sexual uh, problems, right? That our, our problems in our culture and even in our church stem from this kind of stagnant pool that we're all in, which includes unrealistic expectations, misinformation, poor communication or no communication, cultural myths, so myths from the church, myths from our culture, and historical hurt. So we know, I know as a clinician, that about 45 to 50% of couples, this is research, complain that they have some sexual problem at some point in their marriage or at some point in their life, and that's what is reported. So think about that number, that there's a lot of sexual dysfunction in this world, and I believe it's because we cannot get out from underneath this kind of stagnation in, in our culture. So we have to have a different model. And here is, this is my model. And um, this is not a linear model by any means. It is uh, what I would call like a DNA type of structure. So all these pieces kind of hang together. We'll go and we'll talk about each one. And uh, so they're integration, communication, information, mutuality, connection, and relaxation. That if we want to have some sense of what it means to connect in a healthy way, sexually, we have to talk about these components or at least address these components, okay? We're going to start here with integration. Why? Anybody have any guesses? Or just thoughts about what I'm what I mean by integration? So what I mean by integration is that we are called to be whole people. Okay. And we have this problem in our culture, and um, we pick up on it in the church, and it's called compartmentalism. This is the idea of splitting things up, our parts of ourselves, right? And um, saying that parts of me are really not, don't belong to other parts of me. So, Usually this means the sexual part of me and the spiritual part of me don't go. Okay. We get this idea from Greek philosophy, actually. And don't get me wrong, I love some Greek philosophy. I love philosophy in general, but I don't like it mixed with my faith or with my Christian theology. And this is kind of the problem because, you know, 400 uh, AD, we have... Uh, Augustine, who took some Greek philosophy and said, hey, this fits really nicely with our Christian tenets. And what we had is then a, this distinction between the soul or the spiritual part of us is so much better than the body. The body is actually bad. Okay, So we kind of run with that for thousands of years now at this point. And the problem is, we have all kinds of fallout, right? So instead of thinking that the body is bad, we need to have another type of understanding of what it means to be a whole person. Okay, I like to use, um, when I think about integration, I use the great commandment. That is to love, we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our body, 
with everything that's in us, with our passion and intelligence, right? All of who we are. This is not a list that divides us up or separate parts. These are aspects of who we are. It's a description of who we are as whole people. So if that is our job, or that is our call as people of faith, to be connected up to ourselves, right? then we can't split off parts. We shouldn't be in positions where we are um, agreeing that our body is bad. Okay. It means we have to actually pull in, connect up our spiritual part of who we are, the emotional part of who we are, and the physical part of who we are, and serve God with all those parts. Okay. Again, this is a description of a whole person. In my line of work, that is the job of a psychologist or a therapist, is to help people become more whole, to be able to pull together all their parts and not split them off. Okay, so our first step is, in terms of understanding integration, is we have to accept our body is good and we have to accept sex is good. So, what does that mean? Well, we know that God created male and female in his image, right? And he declared it very good, but that means our bodies are good, that sex is good, that sexual desires are good, feelings, sexual feelings are good, genitalia is good, orgasms are good, all those things are good. And if we're hearing uh, information from the church that says those things are bad or dirty or wrong, then we're going to have problems in this area in terms of integration. We're gonna have problems when people come to their uh, wedding night and it's a disaster, which I hear lots and lots of stories, by the way, of that happening. I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but it's a part of what I do on a daily basis is hearing these stories about how they heard that their body was bad, that it was dirty, that their thoughts were dirty, that they thought about sex, so they pushed it all away, and then all of a sudden, they were expected to be sexual beings on their wedding night, and it didn't go so well. Right. So, again, as Adam says, says of Eve, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. They become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we have to be able to incorporate this idea of the body being good. So when it comes to intimacy, and again, I'm not just talking about sex, I'm just talking about relationships with people, and in, some, in, in the ultimate intimate experience, it would be with people who are married, we have to think about intimacy as whole person relating. That means we give all of who we are to our spouse, and they give all of who they are to us. In relationships with others, we make sure that we are giving of ourselves in ways that are respectful to other people, right, and loving other people in a whole way. So this is from the message. I like this because I think it's poetic. Um, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one, and since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. In this sense, there is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live how you please, squandering what, what God paid such a high price for? The, part, the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Okay. So, 
Let's talk about communication. Okay, so as you could see from our example that we had at the beginning, that sex isn't talked about very much, right? Not in our culture and not in our churches. And there's lots of reasons for that, right? Um, we talked about the talk. We talked about what happens in the media. We don't have a model for talking about sex. It's not a part of what we know. We don't have any model that says, oh, that's how you talk about sex, and that's how we can talk and ask questions and have it be in a safe environment. All we do is get the information from, from where we can get it. And if we don't have a model of communication, then it's going to be a problem. Sometimes we don't have the words. I've had lots of clients who either, when they talk about growing up in their family, and I ask them things like, well, what were the names for, for your genitals growing up? And they say things like, oh, well, you know, we use kind of some silly words like pee-pee and hoo-hoo and, you know, and the like. So instead of it being like, oh, well, here's your eyes and nose, your belly button, and then, oh, here's this silly part of you, right? Everybody's kind of has this giggle factor. So not only do we not have a model to talk about it, but we don't even have correct language. Or the meaning there is, it's silly. Okay? Another part of um, problem with communication, uh, other than not, not having a model or not having language, is that it's connected to um, some kind of abuse. That um, sex is actually, was actually something that was very secret because they were being hurt. So there was no way to communicate. I had one client who said, um, who said when I asked her, what, you know, what name were you, did you use when you needed to talk about your genitals or anything like that, and she just looked at me and said, there was no name. There was no name for that part. So here she was having these problems with her husband, who she was in a loving relationship with her husband, but they couldn't get past the language barrier, the abuse, the fact that there was no name for parts of her body. So again, we have to be very mindful about how we communicate. If we have a, um, um, a structure to communicate um, about sex, and if we have the words. So I'm just curious, how many of you uh, talk about sex in your churches? Yes. How do you do that? I just, you know, I'm, I'm a very open person, and so when, if I'm in Bible class with women, I don't do this in a mixed gender yeah. class. Well, I would say, but it's received well sometimes? Sometimes. It's a mixed bag. Okay. So I would say you cannot, um, you cannot get people to go where you are not willing to go. So if you are not willing to have the conversation, people won't usually will follow your direction. So if you're opening up conversation in small groups, right, with women, then they will realize, oh, this is something we can talk about. They might not feel comfortable talking about it at first, but at least they know that they can talk about it. Okay. How else have you guys talked about in church? Yeah, Mark. I, mean, I haven't gotten to be super specific, but um, I did a sermon series on Song of Songs. Oh, great. And, um, and we did some, uh, one week I had a, a husband and wife do kind of a responsive reading of selected texts through Song of Songs. And the guest was like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Um, <laughs> Very sensual. And the other thing I try to do, because I can do this at different spots, is talk about the goodness of creation that includes our, our bodies. Yeah. So I Good. can be more specific with those other two things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, leading men's groups or men's Bible classes, the literature out there is almost all negative and blaming mm -hmm. and so it's you don't do this and you don't do that right. and, you know treat a woman with respect but it's 
that it's that's not being said in a proactive, positive way. Right. It's the assumption that all men are dogs and that all men are beasts and that right. we only have one thing on our mind. That's right. And, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And they, mm -hmm. they're trying to rein in our bestiality mm -hmm. rather than, like you're talking about it, in a positive, affirming, integrated way. It's cut this part of your life out mm -hmm. because you're going to mess things up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would say along with that, it's uh, yes, that, but also I've been a part of men, men's groups where uh, the minute you say something about anything sexual, it all just turns to joking. Every, right. It's all about being funny. That, um, and that gets to the communication piece of the silly language because it is not a part of something that they know how to literally talk about without going to, to jokes. I, I'll just tell you this quick story. I'm going to watch the time. No, I'm not even going to tell you that story. All I was going to say is that when my husband and I, and maybe another time, became uh, went to get more training in sex therapy, we were both clinical psychologists, married, had children, and even we felt uncomfortable talking about sex. We realized how difficult it is to talk about. So everybody's in the same boat. So even just getting the conversation started is one of the best things you can do and noting things like, wow, okay, that time everybody was joking. I wonder if we can move it to something a little bit just more serious. Right. But noting that's a defense that shows people where, where they're at because it's so difficult to talk about. Okay. All right, we have to move along. Okay, dispelling myths about communication. Uh, sex is natural, there's no need to communicate, just do what comes naturally. Uh, sex is mysterious, if you talk about it, you'll ruin the mystery, right? Talking about sex might lead to sex, meaning like when you're talking to youth, like you don't want to give anybody any ideas. <laughs> Last one's a little. Uh, men naturally know what feels good to women, so just let them lead. So. These are the kinds of things that oftentimes stop us from talking about it. Maybe not that last one. Okay. Information. I could spend six hours talking about information, right? But there's two components. We have to recognize and dispel myths, and we have to acquire the correct information. So, we did this exercise. Off the top of your head, tell me some myths in our culture. We've already kind of we've already kind of hit on them. Men always want sex. Men always want sex. Men are more sexual than women. Yeah. Women don't ever want sex. Women don't ever want sex. I have clients, I can't tell you how many, where their mother said, Honey, you won't like that. But your husband will want it all the time. Other common cultural myths or even church myths? If a man's having a good time, the woman must be okay. Right. If the man's having a good time, then the woman also must be doing okay. Right? Yes? The goal is orgasm. The goal is orgasm. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Right. Instead of, so it's all about performance. Right? How many of you ever stood in the line at a grocery store and you see a Cosmopolitan magazine? Every single time they have something on the cover about 50 ways to hotter sex, try new positions. It's all about the performance, right? It's all about the pressure of it being something spectacular all the time. Okay? What else? Part of the myth I hear is that it's somehow not connected to everything else in the relationship. Oh. Okay, so it's separate. It's like this separate thing. Right. It has nothing to do with all the other things. Yes, and that is a myth. Yeah. yeah. Right, because it doesn't work so well if it is. Right? Okay. Um, other church myths, I would say, would be sexual feelings are dangerous. Right? The temptation alone is sin. Temptation alone is sin, right? That, that we can't... Um, so we better just block it out. We better design different you know, scenarios where 
We are not talking about sex or not talking about sexual feelings, not talking about how normal they are and natural they are, and saying if you have them, then you're just kind of, you're dirty, bad, wrong, something's wrong with you. Anything else? Damaged goods. All the time. I hear that all the time. Right? That some people say that sex, if they have sex before they're married, that not only they're damaged they're damaged good goods, they're they're ruining the gift that they're gonna give to their future spouse. Um, that it's basically the same thing as their salvation. I've heard clients say that. So they were scared to death. And then they had problems afterwards because literally could not, uh, there's, a, there's a condition called vaginismus where your muscles are so tight, right, in the vaginal walls that nothing's getting in there, right? And I have so many clients who their only issue was bad information that they received growing up and they had to do all kinds of work to get that reversed because they were so afraid. They made their bodies so tight that nothing was gonna happen. Okay, so we have to dispel myths. We have to acquire the correct information. There's lots and lots of uh, myths. These universals are on your list, okay? Sex is good and from God. Sexuality and sex are a part of God's design for intimate relating. Sexual curiosity is normal, okay? This is so important. It's normal and natural, and sexual responsiveness is innate. It's what we do with that curiosity that's important, right? So we can make decisions about our sexual behavior, right? We don't tell our kids that. We don't tell our students that. We don't tell our parishioners that. Yes, we, sexual feelings are normal. They're just feelings. We can make decisions. Instead, we say, be afraid of those feelings. Be scared. So then when we have them, we have this response. Okay. Um, mutuality is biblical. It's a biblical guideline for sexual functioning in marriage. Healthy sexuality implies good communication, and sexuality and spirituality should not be divided. So those are universals. Here's, I was gonna talk about gender differences. This is a joke, this is not real, okay? <laughs> that oftentimes we get um, very simplistic in our characterization of men and women, and we like to make these statements that men are more sexual than women, right? Um, that, that women only want emotional connection, right? Um, that men are thinking about sex all the time. Women, you're not going to really like it, but you have to do it, right? Okay, the, so while there are gender differences, right, they're not that uh, simplistic, and they're not that stereotypical. Women are just as much sexual beings as men. Um, they feel it differently, though. Why? Because of their hormones. Hormones uh, for women and hormones for men are different. That doesn't make women less sexual. It means they just feel them differently. So that's important. Because of time, I'm going to keep going. But we have to be aware of, yes, there are sexual differences, but we have to be aware of what we're saying to our youth and our, the married couples that come in to see us. Okay, this is the sexual response cycle. And I'm here to tell you that most of the problems that I see are about desire. Um, I'm going to say 60% of the cases that I see are about desire. That there's some problem with desire. We have so much misinformation about desire and how desire should work. Again, all of this comes from the um, kind of the media. It even can come from our own experience that when we first were with our loved one, we had so much desire, so much so that it was hard to keep our hands off of each other. We were worried about going too far, et cetera, et cetera. Then we get married, and all of a sudden the desire is different. So people have this expectation that desire should be the same all the time. 
and in all phases of life. And that's just not true. So we have to understand that um, the desire is very complex. And again, when you first meet someone, you, your sexual desire for that person that you are with will always be high, will always be high within a certain realm or a certain um, time frame. It will be high for six to 24 months and then it will diminish. Why is your sexual desire so high at the beginning of a brand new relationship when you don't know someone? It's because you don't know them. Because it's all fantasy-based. Right? It's all dopamine charge and adrenaline charge. It's a nice little cocktail. right? You're so excited. It's all about the fantasy. It's all about the touch. But it's not until we get to know someone and really are in an intimate relationship with someone right, that the desire differences show up. Right? And there are desire differences between... Uh, in couples. Sometimes the women have higher desires than the men. It's not always one way. But there is always going to be a differential. And it's normal. So learning how to be able to talk about it and helping your couples understand that it's normal is important. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. Okay. I could talk about that for hours, but we're not going to because we got to keep going. Okay. We're going to talk about mutuality. This is really important, especially in, um, in our line of work as church leaders, as a therapist, because this comes up very often. Even when there are desire differences, sex is for both spouses, not just one. Um, and there's the verse, okay? All right, mutuality. What does mutuality mean? It means something that's collaborative, collective, combined, common, right? Something conjoint, cooperative, right? United. What's the opposite of that? Exclusive, individual, one man, one-sided, one way, single, soul, soli solitary, okay? We have to understand that mutuality must be the basis of healthy sexual relating because if it's not, that means that sex is a duty or a job for one person. Okay, And that is a message that gets uh, spoken out to lots of people in the church. And we have to be very careful about it. Mutuality implies choice, understanding, love and care for the other person, person relating, it implies agape love, wanting the best for the other, empathy, it extends help or demonstrates good intention. So, this is uh, something that we talk about often with our couples, and that is the three D's. There's three reasons to have sex, okay, and two of them are good, and one of them is bad. Okay. If there is desire that is mutual, that's a great reason to have sex, right? Your desire means my desire, fantastic. But what if there's a situation where one person had desire and the other person didn't, okay? Now, this is something I'm sure that has come up in your counseling with other people. I know it is a big deal um, in every counseling session that I have with couples is how do you, how do you uh, talk about the difference in desire? Well, anytime there is a sense that sex is a duty, okay, that's the one that's bad. That means that sex becomes a job. It means something that is, uh, sex becomes a task. It means sex is just for one person. And the problem is, it will kill the desire of the, per of the other person. So the one person might have more desire and be really, really interested, but if that person is putting pressure on the other, whatever desire that that other person had, it will die. It'll go away. Because they'll feel like, it's not something for me, it's something for the other person. So, duty sex is always bad. 
So that leaves us with one more possibility, and that's decision. So decision is about saying to yourself, saying to your spouse, hey, I'm not really in the mood right now because I'm tired or because it's been a long day, but maybe if we sat down and chatted and maybe did some caressing or um, just connected in that way, maybe that'll come online and I'll feel like more inclined to do so. Okay, well that's the scenario, but what that entails also is that there has to be a final yes and there's possibly a no. But for people to have healthy sexual relating, sex always has to be a decision. And if it's not a decision, then there will be problems. So if, let's say for a wife, she says, yeah, you know, um, as we're talking, you know, I'm feeling really interested. Let's move towards the bedroom. Great, that's a yes. As you're connecting, there's a couple's connecting, and she says, you know, I just really am tired. Let's try again tomorrow. Let's go on a date. Let's do something else. Um, because I really want to spend time with you, and it's a no, then the other person has to recognize that respecting that no actually protects her desire in the future. So, mutuality has to be online. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna go, it's a sprint at this point. Okay. Healthy sexual, sexual relating is about connecting. Okay, so this is a great diagram. It's in your, in your uh, handout. And I love this because this is physical intimacy by color. And we have the green, the purple, and the orange. Okay, anytime you are connecting physically with someone where you're expressing feelings, You've got a hand on the shoulder, you're looking into someone's eyes, you're hugging, you're, you're doing connecting behaviors, you're getting attention. We call that fellowship. We do that with people at church. Okay, We do that with our friends, we do that with our family and kids. It's called bonding intimacy. Okay, It's physical intimacy, it's not sexual, but it's physical intimacy that communicates care. Okay, coupling intimacy. This is... Kissing, making out, romance, passion, sensuous touch, flirting, more intense personal relating, gazing into the eyes longer. This is what you do when you couple up with someone, right? So these behaviors go along with being coupled with someone, right? And again, it's a form of intimacy. Again, it's not maybe fully erotic, but it's still in line with intimacy. And then lastly, we have genital touching, 3D sexual experience and whole person relating. That's igniting intimacy. That's the sexual relationship that we get, in, get to have in marriage. Well, guess what happens when people get married? What's that? They only do the orange. Because they think, oh, we got to do the sex thing. Because we're supposed to do that. Or one person thinks they're supposed to do that and the other person says, yeah, let's just go for the good stuff because we don't have any time because we have kids or a job or this or that, right? They forget the other parts, right? So when I said at the beginning that physical intimacy is not just sex, this is what I'm talking about. That in order for sex to be healthy, we have to engage in all forms of physical intimacy that communicate care, right? And that means bonding intimacy, coupling intimacy, and sexual intimacy. And when couples do engage in the green and the purple, they notice the orange goes a lot better and is not such a problem because they feel connected up. Okay. Goals for sexual touch are always, should always be connection, pleasure, relaxation, and never orgasm in performance. This leads to the next one, which is relaxation. Now, when I say relaxation, I do not mean the statement, just relax, right? Because that is never relaxing for anybody. 
But what I do mean is when you have couples who come in to talk to you, and, or I'm not gonna say you, it has been known that doctors, pastors, other therapists say things to one of the couple, one person in the dyad, just relax, have a glass of wine, right? That it'll just go better if you just relax. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, that's actually really damaging information. What I'm talking about when I say that sex or real relaxation is the key to sexual functioning is that relaxation means love and trust, is free from demand or pressure, is free from unrealistic expectations, and is a bodily response. This is something I could talk about for a long period of time, right? Um, I'm not going to. I'm just gonna say that when our body is in fight or flight, when our body is anxious, when we are hypervigilant, we can't have desire or arousal or orgasm. So just the very functioning of normal sexual functioning and to even work, to even occur, we have to be relaxed. And we're the most relaxed when we're the most connected up to our spouse in a real way and in a most integrated way emotionally and spiritually. When sex is something that is about fun and is about pleasure and is about connecting and not about a certain response. So we have to be very careful, careful about helping our couples or helping people know that um, there's not just a quick fix, a drink, some lingerie, or something that's gonna make their sexual experience better. That really sex is about relaxing with the other person. So again, that's a big topic, and I was gonna get into all this, but I'm not going to do it. This is a, this is what I have my students memorize and write down, that the red parts are all the disorders that can happen, or all the problems that happen sexually when our bodies are not relaxed. Oh, yeah, I'll put it back. Just, I, I, I just wanted to say, take a minute, Melissa, because the, the thing that always interests me about this chart is how many things can go wrong. Yeah. Is it in that handout? No, but I can send it. Mm -hmm. Is this on that site? Um, it can be on that site or I can email. I can email all my slides to you. So literally, um, when I say relaxation is key, this is what I mean. Is that when our bodies are not relaxed, we have all kinds of problems in terms of functioning. And we have to understand that. Angry sex, <laughs> if there is any kind of performance anxiety, I mean, there's every final pathway for erectile dysfunction is anxiety performance, right? So people say you just take a pill for that. But the problem is it's not going to get rid of the, the main problem, which is anxiety. Am I going to get an erection? Is this going to work this time? Which creates all kinds of problems in the sexual relationship. For females too, you know, um, I am, I, I'm not, you know, they do like what's called spectating or bedposting. They look down on themselves and they're like, oh, I, I, my butt's so big and I look so, I don't look good and I don't look like those models and I, this is not how it's supposed to look. Well, that also gets in the way, right? They're not in their body. They're not enjoying the experience. They're not connecting. And it creates problems uh, along the way. So, so much to talk about, and we just like barely scratched the surface, but those are my building blocks. I feel like we have to address all those things or be um, open to talking about them. And here's some, oh, here's a call to action. Okay. Something we all can do. Ask yourself, uh, 
or question your beliefs about sex, address the myths, utilize resources to gain more information. I think this is important. Remember that most of the people in your congregation or community are struggling, have questions, feel there's no one to talk to about sexual matters. Pray about ways you can open up discussion in your church or community about healthy sexuality. And then lastly, develop programs. Parent education, marriage encounters, youth talks, small group formats that address healthy sexual relating. So again, that's a lot. Here's some resources. I've used up all my time. <laughs> do I even have time to do questions? No. I don't think I do. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no. But she will be here. Oh, I'll be here. Yes. And I do just want to point out this book, Battle Tools for Relevant Church Leaders, is on the Boone Center for the Family website. It's a free download. Yes. And there's a chapter in it that Melissa and her husband Scott have written uh, that goes into detail more about yes. what we're doing. Melissa, thank you so very 